0: Well, so far in 2011 here at Harvest Indy West, uh, we've been about kind of taking a strategic pause, if you will, in many ways on Sundays and small groups. And uh, i tell you, we have just been immensely blessed in these first three years of our ministry here. And we're kind of in that place of, as we call it, moving from infancy to toddlerhood and advancing along in that. And just some exciting things are taking place. We're bringing on a fourth elder. You'll be hearing more about that today. Uh, we're putting deacons into place to further advance us in the areas of some ministry care and some local, regional, beyond-our-wall ministry aspects. So we're advancing there. We're in the process of adding four children's ministry team leaders, for our children's ministry. Uh, We are in the diligent process of working on evaluating some uh, properties in the area. This is literally part of the Future Facility team and some work that's been done for us on evaluating possibilities for that. That's exciting stuff. Small groups are just coming together in a way that I'm just thrilled about it. I'm seeing small groups uh, beginning to serve in ways all on their own initiative. Get this. We have people here coming to it. church that don't have to wait for a program to be announced to go serve people in the name of christ that is cool okay and like so un-american oftentimes you know wait for it but listen we can just serve jesus and uh, other people as a result of that there's really some cool stuff happening i'm just thrilled about all that and god's just been doing a work but i also want to say this we are at a point where in three years into it with where we're at where we could get uh very typical We could get very American, comfy, cozy church. We could get very much where we're kind of in that uh, serve me, be all about me, you know, institutional program, puffy-headed people church. It would be very easy to go to that. We don't want to be that. We don't want to do that here. And so what I've been doing here since the beginning of the year on Sundays, as well as small groups, kind of having us have a bit of a gut check, a gut pause, for us to center ourselves, ask ourselves, wait a second, what is the gospel really about? And what does that really look like in a church? Then let's work off of that, the way God set it out from there. So what we've been doing on Sunday is we've been talking about uh, a radical call. God has given us as a church, as a people, a call, and it is a radical call. Okay, be very clear about that. And that includes, as we've talked about, we want to be a people, as scripture says, to be increasingly loving God. We want to be an increasingly loving God people. Uh, we also want to be an increasingly loving others people. Uh, is just huge as we see Christ talk about in Scripture from that. And in fact, we've been spending the most time of this series on that topic. What does it look like to love other people? If I'm going to be a disciple of Christ that loves God increasingly and love others increasingly, what does that look like? We've been talking about kind of four key areas. One, it's a people that understands that they love the world. I mean, I look out and we see a world today. I love the nation's. I care about the nations because Christ cares about the nations. That means being a kind of people that's loving the hurting, loving the poor, loving the orphan, loving the widow. Scripture talks about that again and again and again. And we would need to be a people that is doing that and increasing in that. We need to be a people that is loving others by loving the fact that we're part of God's universal faith family. You realize all over the world, there are people who love Jesus and are working to love him and to love others as well. We're part of that. Heaven's going to be so cool. And yet fourth, the reality of the being part of the universal faith family is we are part of a local faith family. And in all reality, the, the universal aspect is kind of up here. The reality of it is worked out here. Uh, in a local faith family, God has a high view of the local church. Christ has a high view of the local church. We do here as well. And so we've been spending the last uh, actually couple months talking topics. What does it look like to be the kind of faith family that's actually loving one another? Well, it's, we talked about this. It's, it's uh, hospitality for one another. We talked about it. it's loving the faith family stranger. It's not just being about making the great cupcakes like we have here for the ladies out in the hallway, which is so sweet. Uh, get it? Um, but on the uh, uh, reality of it as well it's caring about one another uh, it's serving one another it's encouraging one another it's teaching and admonishing or teaching and correcting and warning each other it's it's forgiving one another enduring relationships do not endure without forgiveness doesn't happen And yet I could make a potential argument that those six things that are presently listed there, hospitality, serve, encourage, teach, and monitor, forgive, that frankly almost any club organization could do in a certain aspect. Maybe not in a biblical reality, but to a certain point. I want to bring in the last one. And today is the ending of this series uh, that we're doing here on this radical call. And I want to bring that one in on pray for one another. Because no club can do that. No just general group of people can do that other than God's people. The scriptures calls us to pray for one another. Open your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Very end of your Bible. James chapter 5. Let me set a little context here for the book of James. Uh, James is writing Jewish Christians. Uh, they're scattered throughout at the time all over the Mediterranean world uh, because of persecution. They are living in a hostile environment at the time. And they are being uh, 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 they are tempted to turn a relationship with Jesus Christ into just an intellectual aspect. And I'll tell you, it's so easy to do. We've got this all happening so often today in churches. It just becomes an intellectual ascent. In other words, just teach me more information. And 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 the smarter we get, the more ability we have to, to do better on the test, the fill-in-the-blank multiple-choice test, to give the answers of who was so-and-so's mother and son and brother. I just tell you, I don't work that way. I don't have that kind of a brain. But yet oftentimes that's the way it is in so many ways. And this was one of the things that was happening in that day. And James is writing to them. He's saying, be careful. Listen, it is about knowing the word. It is about knowing truth. But at the same time, listen, if you're not a people that's going to do the truth, then why know it? And so James is writing, calling people to do their faith. So let me pick up James chapter 5. Let me read verses 13 through the end of the book. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Boy, a whole lot of this already contains these points we've been talking about on a loving one another kind of people. This is the field that I want for you to grab out of this. We're not going to dig into a number of the other things, but confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Prayer of a righteous person is great power as it is working. and recover a multitude of sins. The thing I want for us just to grab out of this, there is so much, call, so much of a call to one another in this. Forgive one another, confess one another, help one another. And in this, did you notice, pray for one another. In fact, the most used word in this section is the word prayer, prayer, prayer. Seven times. How many? Seven times. And get this. Out of four, out of the seven times that it's used, it's stated in what's called an imperative form. In other words, it has a command behind it. Behind it, it's you must. It's not just saying, "Hey, you know what? When you're feeling right, when life's going along well, or or whenever it comes to mind, hey, just whatever, you know." I'd, I'd suggest I'd encourage you to pray. It's not that way. James is writing to people in persecution, and he's going like this: "Listen, I'm telling you, you gotta pray." This is an urgent thing. And he states it again and again and again. It's the theme of this last part here. Pray. Pray. In verse 16, we say pray for one another. Now, this is right here at the point in time. I don't know if it's been your case in your church history, but here's some of mine. Right now, this is generally where the pastor turns into the guilt you mode. In other words, it's this. You hear about the topic of prayer, you walk away just totally discouraged. Because for most of us, we're in the realm where we're not really, prayer is not one of the grand things that we're excellent at, stated. (laughs) Yeah. Agreed? And so you hear the illustration about the man, the woman in England in the 1800s who woke up at 4 a.m. in the morning and prayed for four hours. And it comes across like that's supposed to be the norm. And I walk away and I go, I am so guilted. And so discouraged, because that's not me. And not only is there often time where it turns into this guilt you thing, but oftentimes it kind of turns into this confusing thing for me personally. I'm just being real transparent with you here, I, I oftentimes just in the area of prayer, I go, "How in the world is it that a puny little me can come before a God and lay out my request?" And it's like, God's going to do what I want. You know what I'm saying? No. I'm glad you're further along the road than I am, but I'm just telling you that's where I'm at. It confuses me sometimes. The third one is it concerns me. Sometimes when I hear it talked about a concern, it's kind of like this. Prayer is a two-way communication. You know, you just go, you get alone, and you hear God speak. I just can tell you straight up, I've never heard God speak. I've never heard, and Have you? Now, the way we term that, that, I'm getting kind of on some of the semantics of it, but it concerns me because the typical person walks away and it's like, I haven't heard God say anything. Uh, by the way, it, here's some of the realities that concerns me about it as well because the scripture talks about how in this aspect of, of I have a heart that is deceitful. How is it that I just don't know it's me bending it? Or how is it I just don't know, frankly, kind of a little silly, but frankly, how do I know it is this just wasn't the pizza from last night? Or how is it that I, that in it, when scripture says that Satan is an angel of light looking to deceive, how is it that I don't know that actually it, it see, feels like truth, but yet it isn't truth? Oh yeah. Also, I remember in the scriptures, second Peter chapter one, verses three, it says that the word of God has everything that I need for life and godliness right here. Let me, let me push you on this. So why do I need God to say anything more? Some of you right now, I'm just rocking your boat. But think about it. Think about it. I think a big part of the problem comes out as we have a wrong picture of what prayer is all about. So here's what, I'm not gonna guilt you today. I just wanna have you come in with me for a little bit and I wanna share with you a picture that has so helped me in understanding better what prayer looks like. In fact, this is something as a church we talked a year and a half ago about. I'm gonna take a little bit of time, bring it back to the table here for us. But first, let me begin by this. Let me tell you four pictures that are not picturing prayer. Here's the first one the great Oz. (laughs) It's the leg quivering coming before the great Oz. Why is that a wrong picture? Because listen, if you're redeemed in Christ and you know Jesus Christ is your savior, you don't have to come quivering, fearful, like he was waiting and wanting to crush you and he's trying to scare the living life out of you. He's your father and he loves you. And he wants to do great things through you. You don't have to come that way. The second picture that oftentimes I think we have is the magic mystery answer ball. It's kind of the God. I've got to make a decision. Give me an answer. Mm, Yes. Okay. True. God, just give me the answer. And God is like the decision ball. Uh, Let me go to a third one that's not the picture of prayer. God is my magic uh, genie lamp. It's like, God, I know we haven't talked for a while, but I'm in a bind, and I need some help. <laughs> Take care of my problems. And then there's a fourth, kind of the most common, uh, Santa's lap. God, I'd like blank and blank and blank, and for my friend Bobby and Sally, I'd like blank. hey, I've yearned for the guy who would come and teach on prayer and just kind of say this. I struggle because I often am like this. I struggle to be a man of prayer. But Doug, you're a pastor. Acts chapter six, verse four. I understand. But in the busyness of life and the things of life, I have a tendency to fall back on viewing God this way rather than What is the reality? So I want to bring another picture to the table here. As the more and more, and I look in scripture, I see the fact that it's about this opportunity. And in fact, I see more and more prayer as it's done in scripture. I see it as this amazing meeting of relationship at the table. Chris, let's go to the next one. It's amazing meeting of relationship at the table. Now, who's at this table? Let me hit some for you here. Number one, the father. God, the father is at the table, the head. Two, who else is at this table? God, the son, uh, Jesus Christ, the risen, uh, ascended God in the flesh. He, he is, uh, acts on our behalf. He intercedes to the father. Another person at this table is the Spirit of God. He intercedes, he convicts, he helps. Fourth, one that is so often forget, is the Word of God. The Word of God is at the table. Listen, we don't have to wonder who God is. We learn who the Father is, who the Son is, who the Spirit is, and we have everything we need for life and godliness right here. And they're at the table. And oh yeah, there's a fifth seat here at this table. And the fifth seat is for the redeemed person. Hey, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've come to a place where you've received him as your Savior, listen, you have been given the opportunity to have a seat at the table. I want to tell you for me, this just puts the whole thing in a whole different place. This is not about bringing God down to my Santa world, to my magic eight ball world, to my genie bottle world. It's not bringing God down to being like some Oz kind of freak show. It's actually I, me, you, a sinner redeemed in Christ. I get an opportunity to be at his table. Are you kidding me? That is so amazing. You have an opportunity to be there. There are a lot of places I would love to have the opportunity to be. A lot of situations I would love to have the opportunity to have a seat at that table. And listen, friends, we have a seat at God's table. And we don't deserve that seat one bit. The fact that there is a seat there for those who are redeemed in Christ is all about God's incredible grace, his immense grace. You get the opportunity to be able to come at a table with the Godhead and the word of God. Yeah. That's pretty exciting stuff. It kind of turns it from this, oh, crud. I gotta pray, do my duty. Are you kidding me? At the table, baby! That's what it is! And yet I say that, and man, do I have to get that more and more, and you too. At the table. It's at the table where life is centered. I get a seat there as a redeemed one in Christ. It's, it, life is centered here, and it's here where the who's of life are centered. In other words, when I come and I bring life there at God's table, it's not God coming to my table, it's me coming to his table, I'm reminded that he is God and he is life, I'm not. It is at this table that I realize I am in total need and he is the total source. It is at this table where I am the servant and he is the king. I'm not the king, he's not my servant. At his table. This is the place where praise takes place, repentance takes place, thanksgiving takes place, adoring takes place. This is the place where I do bring my supplications and my requests. This is also the place where not only the whos of life are centered, but the whats of life are centered. It's where the practicalities of life are discussed. It's the working out of the bringing before God, all things of life. God, I'm coming to you and my life to the table. Let's interact. You've given me the opportunity, the issues of my life, the, the purposes of life, the decisions, the struggles, my own heart just laid out on the table before God. I mean, he knows it anyway. Joining of the Spirit of God, bring biblical truth to bear in all things. Prayer, the amazing meeting of relationship at the table. Pray we get the opportunity to. Now, James 5.16 says not just pray, but pray for one another. Pray for one another. So how how has this image changed how I pray for one another? Let me kind of help us try and picture it. Uh, Let's say you've got friend, Bob, the plumber, a friend at church, bring him to the table. I just want to tell you, it changes how you think about praying for Bob, the plumber, your friend. It's not a God I'd really like for Bob. I'd I'd like this and I'd like this and I'd like this and I'd like this. Just the whole idea where God, the father, God, the son, God, the spirit, the word of God is here. God, I'm bringing Bob to the table and God, I'm praying, man, I want to tell you in that room, I'm thinking differently. It's that setting place. I bring my spouse to the table. My spouse is handling various life responsibilities, bringing her or him to the table or my small group friends or my kids or um, the decisions they're making. The parenting is going spiritual growth. It's taking place. Pray. At the table. But here's the question. How? What do I pray? Turn to the left in your Bibles to John 17, just for a little bit, just for a smidge. John 17. I think we could learn maybe how to what actually to kind of be praying about by looking at Jesus. By the way, I'd love to spend more time on this because the whole idea of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, praying, listen, that's awesome. And how do I wrap that around? Was Jesus just like pray the way I pray? No. When you hear of the prayers that he has, we're going to take a look at one here. John chapter 17. It's a high priestly prayer. It's right in the shadow of the cross. The last supper is taking place. Judas has just gone to betray him. He knows the cross is coming. And it's like the last thing. Parent, what are you praying for your kids right there? In the first six verses, Jesus is praying for his his glory, not that he would be, like, awesome, but he's praying for the glory of the Father would would show through him, that he would glorify the Father out of this. Then he prays for the disciples through verse 19. Man, one of the disciples being there hearing, Jesus pray for you, how cool is that? And then let me pick up verse 20. Uh, Jesus here is praying. He says, uh, 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 "Father, I do not ask for these only, in other words, I don't He's transitioning from praying for the disciples to praying for some others here. Not only for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who is that? That's us nowadays. Anybody after them who has heard the word of God, proclaim the gospel proclaimed. Look at verse 21. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, that they also may be in us. In other words, God, I pray they be one. And Father, I pray that they be one. Look at this, for here's the purpose. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. When they're one, the world will know. Verse 22, uh, the glory that you have given me, Father, I, give, I have given them. Whoa, that ups the reality of what we have in Christ, doesn't it? There's none of this little minuscule, little puny, little kind of religious God stuff. It's like the, what the, the glory that the Father has given the Son, the Son has given you redeemed. That's cool. That's very cool. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That, that they may be one. Here we go again. That they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me be one. Be one like the Father and the Son. So that, here's the purpose, so that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me, Father. I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. In other words, I want to be one with them. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Hey, what's the thing that Jesus is praying for us? It comes down to this one thing Be one. Be one. I just want to make a note there. He's addressing us in three kinds of things. He's praying for those people that have the Logos, those people that have the word. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, the beginning was the Logos, the word is with God, and the word was God. Oh, yeah, the word is Jesus Christ. How do we know about Jesus Christ? It's what today we call the word. Uh, he's praying for people who have the word. that'd be a great thing to pray for people rather than all their problems would be resolved and, and rather that they would have fluffy nice things. How about this? How about we pray for one another that we be people of the word? People of the word. Oh God, I pray that Bob is a man of the word, which is also meaning Christ. Secondly, he's referring to people that they have been given glory from Christ. How about that one too? Oh God, I pray that the glory of Christ that has been placed in them because of the work of the cross and the resurrection, oh God, I pray that that glory just penetrates them and shoots out from them in every aspect of life. Oh God, I pray they be a man of the word, a woman of the word, and I pray that they be glorifying to you. How about a third one that he names of praying that they would be that the work of the gospel would be in them? Oh, God, I pray the work of the cross would be in them, penetrate through them. Listen, those are meaty prayers. Parents. That's what we want in our kids, isn't it? Kids who love the word. Kids who glorify Jesus Christ with their life kids who live the gospel I could care less about the career I could care less about the finances I could care less about how popular they are that is all irrelevant compared to these three pray that oh yeah and those three three are prayed in such a way addressing them as that that they would be one people hear me You go through this, and again and again, the focus is that Jesus is praying that we be one kind of people. That means it's not all about my little thing. It's not all about my little pet deal. It's we're one people. And when we're one people, you go study the text, you'll see, in essence, three times it's tied to each one time he says the one thing. It's tied to when they're one, the world will know that God uh, sent Christ. And the world will know that that the cross, it's a God thing. And the world will know that God, the Father, loves them like he loves the Son. When we're one, the world will be changed. Notice he doesn't pray for big churches or grand buildings. He doesn't pray for incredible programs. He doesn't pray for dynamic pastors who are like funky or uh, whatever. He prays that his people be one. It's that simple. One people. One people. By the way, being one does not mean we're all exactly the same. In the whole, I don't have time to go into the layout of the text, but it's talking about as Christ and the Father are one. Christ and the Father are distinct but one. Distinct but one. It's not about producing lemons. It's about lemmings. It's about producing one. One. By the way, I just want to give you a little heads up. In two weeks, we're starting our next series through the book of Philippians. Guess what it's called? One. Why? Because the book of Philippians hits on the item of unity. Listen, when you are one kind of people, joy comes out of that. It's not a bummer. Joy comes out of that. We're going to be digging through that through the summer in Philippians. Prayer. The amazing meeting of relationship at the table. Well, guess what? How about this? How about we pray? Okay? Okay? Well, let me kind of restate that. If we could have people who are going to help with prayer, come on up. Let me kind of restate that because I'm not feeling you too juiced about this. How about this? Because we're getting ready to pray. How about this reality? We, together, undeservedly so, we get the opportunity to be able to come before the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We get to be, together, have the opportunity to be able to come before the God of the universe and to come before His Word and center life. How about we do that? Okay, got to start again. Hey, seriously. How about we do that? This is an awesome thing, friends. You get the opportunity. We get the opportunity before God of the universe. That's amazing.